You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Hello and uh, welcome back to our podcast and thanks for listening. Uh, this is Giles Parkinson here, uh, joined as usual by David Leach. David, how are things? Oh, very well, thanks Giles. Look, we've got a bit of a challenge um, today because we're doing a morning uh, recording rather than an evening one, so I hope it goes okay. But as usual, there's a lot to talk about. We've had um, big rises in feed-in tariffs, and we'll talk about that. That's probably possibly good news and bad news. Um, we've had a couple of conferences in Melbourne. We've had some interesting data coming from the Clean Energy Regulator about the renewable energy target. And we've had some extraordinary submissions from the uh, or presentations by some of the major players in the market, Origin and AGL. And I think, uh, David, you've digested a couple of major reports, um, particularly the CSIRO one. Well, I don't know about digested. I've tried reading it. It's actually given me a bit of indigestion, but there you go. (laughs) Did you get to the end, though? (laughs) I got to the end about three times, but I'm still not sure where the beginning and the middle is. Oh, well, look, we'll get on to that later. Look, I guess the big news this week um, for many people was the um, doubling in the uh, solar retail tariffs. Um, now, particularly in New South Wales, now this sounds like good news. I think the um, IPART, the independent regulator, recommended that the tariff be doubled from between five and seven cents, depending on when you're on a time of use um, system, to 11 cents to 14 cents. Now, that's pretty extraordinary when you think that you could probably install solar for less than 10 cents a kilowatt hour and you can just plug it straight back into the grid, not even use it, and still make some money. But there's a flip side to this, isn't there, David? Well, there is. I guess it, uh, only to the extent that it makes uh, installing batteries uh, uh, less competitive. Um, it's more or less like rise, equivalent to rising the price of a um, battery by 20%. It is true that solar is becoming very competitive. Another thing you didn't mention, Giles, but I found very interesting this week was the community solar uh, show that was on the ABC TV last Sunday night. Uh, showing that basically uh, businesses like bakeries can put solar on their roof and pay people funding that 7% a year for 10 years uh, and still make money out of it. So we're seeing that, as you say, uh, household solar can make money at, at more or less the current solar price, whatever the electricity price is, just from the feed-in tariff, and businesses are finding it worthwhile to put solar and still pay above market interest rates to get it done. Well, that's right, and we've seen some extraordinary forecasts um, from the CSIRO, that report that you're trying to digest at the moment. Their forecast for 2050 is for 85 gigawatts of rooftop solar, which is going to be households and it's going to be businesses. And people report, um, because I was down at the solar conference down in Melbourne this week, and um, people are reporting... Uh, the buzz around there is that the market is very strong once again, and it is particularly strong in the business section um, uh, for the commercial industrial sector. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the only cautionary note I have is some of the the CSIRO longer term numbers now are much bigger than they've ever had before. And I look at uh, 80, um, for instance, there are about 7 million detached houses in Australia, just detached houses. And if each of them put five uh, kilowatts of solar on their roof, that would be like uh, 35 gigawatts of solar. So, you know, that's, that's assuming 100% coverage of detached houses, which probably isn't going to happen. And then you're assuming that the business market can get to the same size. So uh, those forecasts from the CSIRO might be right, but mm. I'd be treating them with a reasonable amount of caution. 
Fair enough. Um, look, the other flip side of this new tariff rise is that it's also um, the reason given for this doubling in tariffs is was essentially a, the big rise in wholesale prices. Now, that suggests that um, if they're going to double the tariff in New South Wales, then they're probably going to whack a fair bit on the retail price, the grid price of electricity. So maybe the... Um, so people are facing bigger bills as well. So maybe there are going to, there is going to be that interest in battery storage. Certainly down at the conference where I was, and battery storage, of course, is a big theme down there, um, they are reporting huge interest. But once again, people are asking, but not necessarily installing yet, but they're very, very interested. So when I looked at the CSIRO ENA report, and ENA is the Electricity Networks of Australia, um, and I guess they wanted to look at the report, this report they did to see grid defection uh, one of the most interesting things to come out of that, and this was from a network perspective, and that's why it's so interesting, because nearly all of the big reports deal with utility-scale modelling, but the, this is one where we're starting to have a look at the networks and wires and poles, and uh, in that report was an extremely interesting recommendation that was looked at by Energia, another one of the consultants, talking about having a, a residential demand management tariff, that is where the network doesn't guarantee supply 100% of the time. They have the right to island you, cut you off from the grid for a certain number of hours a year. Now, that's quite common in big business, and we saw that in the in the heat wave in, in uh, January uh, when, when um, uh, the aluminium smelters were cut back. But if you had a battery in your house, you could you could arguably pay uh, a lower price to the network, for the, and they they would have the right to cut you off for a few hours a year. I think that'd be a win-win for everyone. Absolutely, and I guess the only implication of that is that depending on your, the size of your battery, you might not be able to run all your appliances and all your goodies at um, at the one time at that particularly peak moment. But that's exactly what the networks want to achieve. Well, that that'd be. Um so that that would be a, you know your decision and the network's decision and it'd be all around the tariff design. But to see the networks pursuing that, or at least the networks association, I, I think is extremely encouraging. And I'd be encouraging all the stakeholders to get on board and see if we couldn't make that kind of uh, tariff work. Indeed, indeed. My one note of, note of caution, though, is that I noticed that when they were talking about the savings for consumers, and some of those savings were really, really significant. I think they're talking about $100 billion in network costs over over the period out to 2050, and they say that translates into individual households for $400 for people who've got solar and storage and $600 for people who don't. Now, I didn't quite get that about why if you install solar and storage, you will have smaller savings than you would if you didn't. And I'm just a bit confused about the um, calculations there and what that means for the tariffs and, and whether those solar households may be penalized in some way, I'm not too sure. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. At the moment, it's just another report that's sitting out there, and uh, I guess we always have to look at why these reports are produced. Uh, what we can say, though, is that the Networks Association, in, in cooperation with the CSIRO, uh, are, are taking the PV and distributed energy uh, thing more seriously, I suppose, than just about anyone else. It's certainly more seriously than, than uh, the governments and Look, we all, I also had a chance to have a look at the Blackers uh, report and reread that and just look at some of the pumped hydro storage. Uh, and there's, I noticed that Informer's running a pumped hydro conference, and there's certainly a lot of interest in pumped hydro. I guess the thing that interested me about that report was just the cost that they were talking about, where if you work the numbers through, it comes to something like about $300 a megawatt hour, they reckon, of, um, of, of storage, of pumped hydro storage. That's what the capital investment is. And I looked at some of these pump hydro storage projects that have been done elsewhere around the world, 
and, and that number is is lower than just about all of the other ones that have been done so far. So I guess it's uh, that optimism is terrific uh, that is in that report, but we need to treat it carefully in the sense that we haven't had many new pumped hydro storage projects built in Australia, and these long duration, uh, high capital cost things uh, always uh, make the cynical part of the analyst in me uh, a little bit cautious about the prospect of cost blowouts. Indeed, indeed, caution is warranted. But look, um, look. Let's have a look. At some um, some interesting, um, some good news. There's, look, there's lots lots to cover today. But let's get into the clean energy regulator. Did its update, and quite extraordinarily, it's reporting. And and this, some of these figures came out from the Clean Energy Council. Now, the Clean Energy Council's figures I'll get to first. Three thousand five hundred megawatts of committed projects, uh, wind and solar projects already in two thousand seventeen or over the last six to nine months. Sorry, um, the Clean Energy Regulator came up with pretty much the same number. And what they're saying now is that far from being impossible to meet the renewable energy target of 33,000 gigawatt hours by 2020 should be able to be met and may have sufficient commitments by the end of this year to actually meet the target. Now, that's fantastic news and just shows what can be achieved. And I guess a big reason is the um, the huge amount of large-scale solar which is being built and which is matching wind on price and can probably be built a lot quicker than wind farms. But it does beg the question about what comes next after... Um, after meeting this target. But um, were you surprised by those numbers? Well, of course, I wasn't surprised, Giles. I mean, as you know, we've been banging on about these numbers for weeks and weeks now. Uh, and we've produced our own lists uh, th- th- that I think are at least as good as anyone else's lists. <laughs> if that's not better. True. That's if not, true. Um, so that's point one. And uh, point two, I would say, it's actually proof that to, to an extent that the market works. I, I hear a lot of criticism of markets and people don't like it when prices go up. But as, as I've also been saying, high prices are just as natural a part of markets as low prices. And the reason why, in the end, customers shouldn't get too unhappy about high prices is because they induce new supply. And after a lag, despite everyone's best efforts to keep renewable energy out of the market, the high prices both in the black energy market and for the renewable energy certificates, the entrepreneurs have, have licked their lips and and, and, and pressed the but- go button. And we're going to see a lot more go yet because we still haven't seen the Victorian uh, target uh, uh, come into being. Yeah, that's right, the Victorian Renewable Energy Target. And I've got to say, the ministers who are at the solar conference were a little bit cagey about that, talking about legislation coming in in the next few months. And I think it had actually been um, expected round about now. Now, I think one of the problems down there is that there's actually some major network issues they've got in the western west of the state. And we've seen they've rolled out two battery storage tenders. And this is actually going to be quite important because there's a report from AEMO the market operator, which suggests that um, if they're going to lump 3,000 megawatts of wind and solar in the west of the state, which is quite likely because that's where most of the wind and solar is, then they're going to have issues and they're going to have either network solutions or non-network solutions like battery storage to be able to incorporate it, or up to about half of that capacity is going to have to be spilled at certain times, and um, that's not going to be a very good look. So this is another one of the themes that you and I have been banging on about. There's a debate in this, uh, amongst some of the people who follow the renewable industry about whether we really need more transmission as well as distributed energy. And I keep pointing to the example of Texas, went, which went out there and spent US $7 billion on upgrading its transmission lines. And that's one of the foundation blocks for making all the new wind and new utility scale 
um, uh, generation possible. And I think we need more transmission investment in Australia. It would be great to have what I think of as an internet backbone of electricity running across the country, strengthened. We need links, more links to South Australia, arguably a second link to Tasmania, and arguably some way of uh, more broadly connecting Queensland to the national electricity market other than just running it all through New South Wales, which Queenslanders then tend to run for their own benefit. Indeed, indeed. Hey, look, let's move along. Um, AGL and Origin, now they're the two biggest gen tailors in the country. Um, gen tailors meaning that they've got the largest generation fleets and the biggest retail customer base. They both made presentations to the Macquarie uh, Group Conference. Now, um, there was some interesting stuff in there. The thing that struck me most was the AGL, um, formerly known as Australian Gaslight, saying that we're not going to have a gas, um, gas transition. We're going to skip right past it and go straight from big... Um, uh, big um, big carbon em emitting, sorry, big big coal and big coal. Sorry, ah, oh, we're going straight from big coal to big renewables. The big gas transition is just not going to happen because it's too expensive, and renewables and storage are beating it. Giles, sounds like you need a big breakfast, but. Uh... Uh, what, what, what I see is that uh, these companies always talk their book, their whole book and nothing but their book. And the fact of the matter is that AGL's book is that it doesn't actually have a great gas book anymore. It's essentially a gas middleman depending on contracts and it can see gas suppliers running out and, and in the gas origination business probably Origin has an advantage over it. And um, they see that they're making an awful lot of money out of their coal generation and they want to warn their shareholders that that's not going to last forever. Uh, and, and they need to find a way to reinvest the capital. And I, I actually applaud AGL for the job they've done in the last couple of years. They, they, they're doing very well, of course, out of the coal-fired generation, but they're doing it, I guess, in a reasonably responsible manner. And at the same time, they're trying reasonably hard, without any real success so far, to find what the next thing's going to be over and beyond that. As far as Origin goes, they're just constrained by their balance sheet into what they can do. You can see this week they sold off their Darling Downs 100 megawatt station to APA. APA is another company we don't talk about much on this forum, but they have a ton of balance sheet capacity and they'll provide the capital and Origin will just buy the electricity. The next thing we're looking for is something down in Victoria uh, to see what's going to happen with their Stockyard Hill wind farm. I guess maybe that's waiting for those transmission constraints, but that's 500 megawatts of uh, contracts that haven't been signed yet. Indeed, indeed, and, and, and one of the fascinating things about AGL, and look, I agree, they are actually taking a lot of that money from the coal and investing it into the new energy. It's a bit like being on a big liner and sort of gradually filling the like lifeboats with sort of you know, money and new technology because um, eventually this business is going to change. And, and that was the theme of um, Audrey Zieberman, who um, made a couple of speeches this week and did an interview with Renew Economy. And um, the speech she made to the solar conference actually drew gasps um, from the audience who were really quite surprised to hear the message that she's got delivered in such an audience because we've never heard that from anyone in the um, in energy industries and the institutions before and look one of the basic things that I picked up in one of my stories was basically that old business models if you're going to continue with them then you're absolutely insane and that we're actually heading for change and we should embrace it because the technologies are there we've just really got to change the way that we're doing things and that includes business models and rules and regulations and, and policy. Well, I, the only thing I'll say about that is you could contrast that with Paula Convoy's approach uh, at the AR. Paula Convoy came in and didn't make any speeches, but she just got on with getting things done. Uh, whilst there's certainly a role for chief executives of organisations to get out there and make position statements, I'd note that Audrey hasn't been in Australia very long. She's presenting at every conference as if she's got all the answers, and I certainly hope she has. Um, uh, because in the end, the AEMO's performance is going to be judged not on what she says, but on how the AEMO actually performs. 
and whether it can keep the lights on too. And um, that might be a bit of a challenge in a couple of weeks' time when um, the um, the people go. Um, well, they've threatened a big strike at Loyang A now. Uh, I think they're going. They're off to the Fair Work Commission to, to try to try and stop that. But it just shows that some of the vulnerabilities in the system that um, that are still there. I can't argue with that. Yeah. Look, um, just to sort of finish off on a couple of um, items about battery storage, um, Tesla's finally rolled out its first little Powerwall too, so that's coming into the market there. But um, we should point out that they're getting a lot of publicity, but a lot of the interest is actually going to other other um, models, um, possibly because when people are looking at quite closely, they're, they're finding value elsewhere, and there's certainly a lot of battery storage people were at this conference, people rolling out new packages, new systems, um, beating them on price and um, and making them look just as smart too. So um, so that's quite interesting. Anything catch your eye of the particular packages? Ah, oh, look, I mean, it's um, only from the outside because basically I think, um, and, and unless you're sort of going to spend a lot of time and look at the actual um, economics um, or sort of the actual machinery inside, then um, it's pretty hard to judge. But there's some very nice-looking uh, battery storage devices um, out there. Um, I think that's one thing that Tesla has brought um, to the industry because no one really cared what they looked like now, but now that they're going to be in the business, they're all looking um, kind of like like you know very flash speaker systems. Um, yes, let's let's make let's make it look like anything except a battery. <laughs> exactly right. In fact, there was one there that actually looked a bit like one of those sort of portable gas um, heaters. But um, I was a bit surprised by that. But um, look, anyway, there's a lot of enthusiasm out there and um, and a lot of interest. Um, look, next week, um, God, we're still waiting for this court decision on the. Um, on this network spending, I mean, that's pretty crucial. Um, we're going to have a budget next week. Um, that's going to be focused on just about everything but climate change and clean energy. Um, and we're getting, we must be getting closer to getting something from the Finkel Review. Well, I think the Finkel Review and then later on in the year, we've still got the federal government to make its uh, look through to COP21. We have to remember to look internationally now and actually the USA, whether it stays in COP21 or not, uh, is is sort of important in the short term. It's not going to change anything in the longer term, but it is important over the next couple of years. And, you know, whether we're actually seeing enough uh, from all the countries around the world to actually get to the two degrees target, I think many of us would be pessimistic at the moment that not enough is being done. Um, as, I, as you would have seen in the NEM Review Weekly, the electricity price rise at the wholesale level seems to be slowing down right now. Everyone's going to reassess, and I think including the uh, renewable energy credits, uh, uh, LRET market, and have a look and just see how much impact this new supply is going to have on prices both in the, in the black and the green market. So at the moment, I think it's just a time. We've seen the big price rises. It's a time, in a sense, for sitting on your hands and, and working out what the next step's going to be. And I guess that's going to be good news for consumers because if those prices are moderating and they're starting to fall, and we would expect that to happen because, as we've noted, if we're getting more wind and solar plants to meet that target, then the price of the LGCs will fall. And if we've got more renewable energy into the system, then in principle with the wholesale price should fall and that should also have a moderating effect. So um, so that, I guess that will be the markets at work, as you mentioned before. Look, one final thing that we should mention is that um, Inform and Renew Economy are having our innovation conference, innovation and startups in the energy sector um, on Monday and Tuesday in Sydney. Um, that's actually looking quite interesting. There's a lot of um, interesting ideas coming up there, most notably uh, people talking about this blockchain technology, which um, some say will create great opportunities in the uh, retail market and for sharing solar and for individual accounts. And we've also got a guy talking about autonomous cars and even the possibility of building electric vehicles in Australia. Fancy that, having a car manufacturing industry again. I'd be interested to hear what he says. 
just I hope they don't list it on the stock exchange too soon. Uh, thanks, Giles. That uh, sounds like a very interesting conference. Yeah, look, it should be. Um, well, I hope I see you there, David. Um, thank you very much, David, and um, thanks for you for listening. And we'll speak to you next week. Bye bye. Thank you.